The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. Another edition of To Homer and Back, the official podcast of Streaking the Lawn. Okay, my name is Pierce, and I'm joined here tonight with uh, Caroline. Say hello, Caroline. Hey. Hey. And uh, hey. we've got a special guest. Why don't you go and sh- ahead and introduce him? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. So we're going to be talking about all things lacrosse today uh, with the season starting on Saturday at Clockner Stadium against Loyola. Uh, games at 1 p.m. So we brought on my good friend Terry Foy, who's the publisher of InsideLacrosse.com in the magazine. Uh, fantastic publication. I highly recommend that you go out and look at the site, <laughs> the magazine, not just because I write for them as well, but because it's awesome content um, for lacrosse. So Terry, thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, there's a little bit of shamelessness in that plug right there. It was a lot of shamelessness. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they took a chance on me five years ago, so help me get into this whole thing. So I definitely have a soft spot for Intel Lacrosse. But uh, um, yeah, we're pretty excited. Um, obviously, a big game to start the season, Loyola. Uh, your alma mater, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's right. Town on Saturday, uh, top 15 matchup. What a... What do you think? So looking at last season, Virginia finishes 10 and five, um, which on its own doesn't necessarily sound that bad, but another first round exit in the NCAA um, had a lot of injury issues. What's your takeaway from last season for Virginia? So it's kind of interesting. Cause like at this time last year, you could have asked me, and I know this is not going to go over well with your audience. So I'm just really excited to be ingratiating myself out of the <laughs> gate. But I would have said that like, Virginia and Maryland were approaching the season with very similar types of question marks. Um, you know, cause for Maryland, like goodbye, Goran Murray, new goalie. Uh, we knew we had Charlie Rafa, et cetera. Well, you know, for Virginia, they was, um, you know, to, I don't know if we necessarily need to get too far into this, but it was, uh, you know, goodbye to a, a multi-year returning starter uh, defenseman who had transferred to Maryland and then yeah. Tanner scales. Uh, ruptures his Achilles tendon. Uh, what was it? Six games in. James Spinell tears his ACL. So you know the the. I guess the point that I'm making is that both of those teams entered the season with with a lot of question marks, and I was I was kind of like cautiously optimistic about both squads, but it was like a, let's take a wait and see approach. And so for me, you know, Virginia Virginia season pinnacled, or or you know they kind of got closer to the mountaintop in their overtime. Uh, road victory at Johns Hopkins, a game which I was at, a game which featured 31 goals and was one of the most fun games that I've seen in the last, like, two, three years. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I say that to say that I think that losing the first round of the NCAA tournament was both successful and disappointing. It kind of depended on at what point you set your expectation. It, if it was in September of 2014, then that result was probably disappointing. But if it was, you know, at the threshold or at the, you know, kind of nadir after all of these setbacks that occurred, 
then you're like, oh, well, making it to the first round of the NCAA tournament is, is you know, that's battling adversity well. So, yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I, I, you know, is that too middle of a road answer for no, you guys? Is that- absolutely. <laughs> I, I actually really, I definitely agree with that because um, it was, I know Paul who couldn't make it tonight for technology difficulties where he's living and internet and stuff. I don't know. I guess he's in the 1970s. Is that why I'm here? Am I a film? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh. no absolutely not. No, no. Um, you were the guest. He was one of our other writers that just were like, okay, see you. Got it. Um, Paul, don't listen to this. Um, but <laughs> Paul, you we, are missing out, man. Yeah. <laughs> we had talked about it. Um, and he was like, people have asked me, what do I, you know, oh, what do you think lacrosse is going to do this year? And he, mm-hmm. he gives them the shrug because it was one of those years where you're like, they've got some good pieces, but there are definitely some question marks because, you know, having Greg Danceglia leave, like you said, um, a couple guys graduating like Rob Emery, like you lose a big outside shot. But you look at, I think the biggest thing people look at is losing at home to mm-hmm. Hopkins for the second year in a row. And the way they lost, 19 to 7, like that, ugh, like they were never in it. But Hopkins right. played probably better than I've seen them play a complete game in three, four years, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's too long, but they, there was nobody was going to beat Hopkins that day. If that makes sense. <laughs> Agreed. No, absolutely. And I think that there's, I mean, that matters, you know, that the fact that it wasn't necessarily even just like a distinct matchup advantage. I mean, they, they ran two trick plays, both of which worked. Um, yeah. You know, that's just the type of thing that those happen. Those happen on those types of days. Yeah. Um, um, so they lose, you know, this season graduate Owen Van Arsdale after I think eight or nine years he was at Virginia, I think it was close. Um, <laughs> no, I think it was a full 10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was it's close. A better part a of the club for sure. Um, and then, you know, uh, Tucker in the midfield, um, mm-hmm. but the defense stays pretty intact and you bring back a couple guys in offense. You get James Pennell back. You mentioned his injury and obviously you, um, get Tanner scales back from his, um, what do you like about the makeup of this team coming into this season? Everything except you're not going to win faceoffs. I mean, <laughs> I literally like everything about the team yeah. um, except that. Uh, I mean, so there, there, I'm sorry. What? I said, we're UVA fans. We're used to not winning faceoffs. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can win national championships without winning faceoffs. It's just no, no foot off your back. No, I mean, I, okay. So I think the thing that I like the most, and this is going to sound crazy. But so you mentioned you mentioned the graduation losses, and I think that you did not mention the most substantial graduation loss, which was Tyler German. And the reason yeah. he was the most substantial graduation loss is because he represented the best of what I like the most about this team. So Dom has said in this preseason that the depth at defensive midfield is better than it's ever been mm-hmm. in his time in Charlottesville. And I would take it one step further, which is to say that it's not just defensive midfield; it's two-way middies. It's guys that can put up 10 to 17 points this season and play a lot or not primarily play defense. And that's what Tyler German did last year and his ability to create transition and what it did to help Virginia not rely on six on six offense to take some of the pressure off the defense. Cause like you're never going to fully commit to like crashing the boards. If you can get fast break the other way. Yeah. And when you can do that with five or six guys, you don't have to worry about fatigue over the course of the game. So you know, I think out of that whole group, Jack Falk is probably the guy that I like the best. Will yeah. McNamara is the best. Um, and then Carl, Carlson Milliken is a great player. He's just more of a defensive-focused player um, in my mind. So, you know, I think that that depth in the midfield and the ability to have a lot of guys that um, can go from defense to offense is what I like best. Um, 
And then if I, if I may, I'll continue on to the thing I like second well, best. I well, will, I will say, I will jump in one thing. I do absolutely love the defensive midfielders. Um, one thing I will say about Will McNamara is recently Coach Sarja was on with Jeff White, who writes for Virginia Sports, and they did a podcast. Um, and he said specifically that Will McNamara reminds him of a Billy Gladding, which to a longtime Virginia follower like myself – that gives me the warm fuzzies because I was a huge <laughs> fan and he was a great two-way midfielder. So it's nice to kind of see a comparison like that and a guy like that back on the field for Virginia because there has been a lot of really strong defensive midfielders. So we've had like um, Bobby Hill was probably one of my favorite short stick middies of all time, like our defensive middies. Like, I thought he was fantastic. Um, Yours and Zed Williams. What was that? Yours and Zed Williams. Because didn't he change yeah. his number to 36? He did. After he left. Yeah. I love Zed. And that's oh. the thing is Zed's fantastic. But um, his, defense, his defense, I think, has gotten better. But it's not quite to the point where you can fully have him on defense consistently. Um, but I, I liked the comparison he made about Billy Gladding. But anyway, on to your second point that you like about this team. Well, so I think that it's that because of the number of guys that can go defense to offense and those guys' ability to play offense, the first midfield line, which I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I expect it to be Greg Cahollin, Zed Williams, and Ryan Conrad. That line can play a ton, and I think that that helps not just in terms of they're awesome, but also in terms of like the cohesiveness that you need when – um, one guy played a sack last year in Cajon's case, or one guy's a freshman and wasn't on a team last year in Conrad's case. And so, you know, getting those guys on the field, getting, you know, and also Zed, Zed has always felt to me like a volume type player. Like he needs to have the ball a lot in order to put up the numbers that, yeah, you know, we expected to see when he came in. So just, I like that in terms of like the being the baseline of who they're going to be play a mm-hmm. ton of D middies, play a ton of different guys in the wing, let some of those guys stay on and play offense, but really like we're going to have our six offensive players and that's who we're going to rely on. Yeah. I think another strength, if uh, I'll cut in here with uh, Matt Barrett, obviously has got to be a, a, you know, a, a strength coming in as a junior. Um, somebody who I think spent a lot of last season getting shelled, uh, which, yeah. you know, maybe we'll, uh, attribute to, uh, veteran, uh, experience, <laughs> yeah. but obviously you, you got to think he's going to be one of the best keepers in the country. It's interesting because, you know, in the same way that Virginia fans are probably not super accustomed to face-off dominance, they're also probably not super accustomed to, and I'm, this is like a multi clutch sentence. I apologize. Like <laughs> you are, you're familiar with like great goalie play, but not 60% save percentage goalies because of how, you know, first it was the reputation for like, we're going to go out and play everybody and we're not going to slide. And like, we're going to give, we're either going to take the ball away or we're going to give the offense layoffs. And that's, that leads to great goalies having not so great save percentages. Um, and so for me, you know, I, so I, I'm a little bit lukewarm on Matt Barrett in comparison to both the attributes of Virginia and maybe his standing among national goaltenders mm-hmm. for, for two reasons. The first is because statistically he doesn't shine. And then the second is because, like you said, I've seen him get shelled a fair amount. Right. And so I think that while I agree that he's an asset, and particularly as a you know source of continuity for 
a group that returns two freshman starters from last year and a guy come back from injury, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having a guy that played as that much lacrosse and stayed healthy and yada, yada, yada is awesome. And that's huge. You know, but I look at it and I'm like, only with 54%. So mm-hmm. I think, and he gave up, you know, double figures seven or eight times. So um, I think that the reason to be excited is because he can be better. And I think that sophomore to junior year, um, not having to wear a cast on his right shin for like the entire season. Um, those are things that, you know, I would, would, would make me think that, you know, he can be a 57% guy. And if that's the case, like, you know, I think Virginia is a, they're in the conversation for a one seed at the end of the year. That's the way I, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the roster is going to be that good mm-hmm. top to bottom um, that if their goalie is that good uh, you know, I can't really see a way that they're not a top three seed at the end of the season. So we've touched on, you know, the shorts, the defensive midfielders, they've got probably, I don't know, probably my favorite player on the defense, Michael Howard as a long yeah. stick. Uh, midfielder, and then you look at the guys who you've got: Logan Greco, Scott Hooper, who started his freshman last year, um, and then Tanner Scales, who's back. Obviously, Davi Sacco, who's like a great story from last year about being the walk-on turn senior who led the defense and caused turnovers and kind of stepped up when they needed him. He's graduated, um, but these guys got so much experience playing early. How I look at the numbers and I look at who they bring back and it's like how's anyone going to score on them like and I know that's obviously <laughs> egregious because they're play good teams but you look at that defense and you kind of think like do they have is it reasonable to think that they should be back to holding teams under double digits again oh yeah yeah I think it's definitely reasonable um you know I, and a, a lot of this does come down to game plan like I said I mean Virginia has a higher risk aversion um or higher risk tolerance lower risk aversion than most top 20 programs, um, you know, and they are more comfortable beating you 16, 15 than most top 20 programs. And as a result, yes, statistically, they're probably not going to be, um, you know, as, as raw number wise, good as some of the others. It's actually really interesting because when you compare them to the basketball program, whoa, (laughs) but, but no, I mean, you mentioned um, your favorite defensive player and and the thing that the point that I want to make as it relates to Michael Howard is that nobody else has, a guy like that in yeah. college across, nobody has a six by 250 pound long stick <laughs> midi. And the reason it's important is because he's going to be playing at least two games and probably more like three, four, maybe five games against miles Jones and Sergio Perkovic, who are, you know, two of the top five players in college across entering this season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are collectively 12 feet, eight inches tall, <laughs> and 460 pounds, maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, you know, that's something that like having a Michael Howard type player is, is a huge asset, um, you know, particularly when you don't have to, you don't have to worry about bumping him down to help play attackman or whatever, because you've got three really, you know, top flight defensemen. There isn't much of a drop off there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and every once in a while, if you have a guy that has a matchup disadvantage, it impacts all your matchups on your defense. And I think that versus Duke and Notre Dame, at least, um, Virginia is going to be able to focus on, you know, putting Howard on an island on those two guys and making mm-hmm. sure that, you know, they at least can out muscle them. They, you know, if they, if they're going to get to the goal, they're going to have to run past them. They're not going to be able to run through them. Yeah. Absolutely. I think another uh, contributor that's going to be the, the new guy, 
potential starters is Ryan Conrad. Uh, he was the yep. MVP of the All-American game, the Under Armour one. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the impact you think uh, Conrad could have, whether whether it be starting or, or off the bench? Yeah, um, absolutely. So uh, Ryan Conrad was our number one recruit in the 2015 class. Um, he was the number one recruit when he was a sophomore, junior, and senior. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I am very familiar with him. Uh, his <laughs> sister is by lacrosse. Um, I, you know, have done multiple photo and video shoots and have seen him play many, many games. Um, I like, I mean, the litany of things that I like about him is pretty long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing I like the most about him is that he's not a jerk, which is really important <laughs> for somebody yeah. who has had that amount of free praise heaped on him. Sure. The thing that I like second most about him and Virginia fans are going to love this because one of the things that really sold me on steel sandwich. So the first time I saw him play, he was a freshman in high school at Loyal Blakefield. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this kid's special. Um, I remember telling him, I was a student at Loyola college at the time. And I remember telling the coaching staff, like you guys should go after this guy. And I don't know if this was like too far ahead of the early recruiting wave or they just knew he was going to go to Virginia, but they basically laughed me out of the office. Um, <laughs> But the thing that I ended up liking the most about him and made me most confident that he was going to develop into what he developed into. And, you know, in retrospect, it's probably easy to see it, but, it, but in the moment there was some doubterness. Um, I remember, you know, when he was a freshman and a third attackman and playing lefty, people are like, uh, yeah, he's a good third attackman, but he's never going to be able to beat number one poles in, in, uh, Kyle's across. And then oh, yeah, he went to So, um, yeah. steals the man. <laughs> But the thing I liked the most was how good of a soccer and basketball player he was, primarily a soccer player. Um, yeah. And Ryan Conrad, and I'm pretty sure as a junior, he won the MIAA championship, being Donna, and scored the long goal in the championship game. <laughs> and, you know, that's an isolated incident. But when you combine that with his all of his lacrosse accolades, um, it shows a well-rounded athlete. So, sure. like, not a jerk, well-rounded athlete like that. And then the last thing I'll say is um, uh, I can't remember who I was talking to about this. Maybe I read it somewhere. Um, maybe both, probably both. But <laughs> apparently he's like the guy that like makes the coaches come out to shoot balls at them before practice or makes the goalie stay after practice or whatever. Yeah. Um, and you always love to hear that, right? Because like it, I think the thing that it says to me the most is like he doesn't think he's good enough right now. Right. You know? Yeah which can be a big problem for freshmen who are good. I think it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you're good. You're good enough right, right out of the gate. So yeah. those are the three things that I like the best about him. And Coach Starja has said a couple times um, that he likes that his game isn't polished is how he said it, that he comes in with like a rugged, like he'd say, he said that you'd think a guy coming from where his background and being the number one guy would have a kind of not fancy game, but like a very like specific prim proper, like styled game. And his is much more rugged is the word that that coach Starja kept using. And I really liked that. I thought that was like, that was something I was like, Oh good. That sounds exciting. Um, Well, also it's, I mean, it, it, it's also hard not to assume that he looks polished when you just see him, but yeah. he is. I mean, he's like, he's, he's like his attributes are that he's like a competitor and that he's yeah. tough and that he's shifty. And that's the other thing that's interesting about him too, is that like, he's not 
he's not like a super traditional midfielder. He kind of, he's, I think he, I think fans are going to like be a little confused as to like what he's trying to do when he has the ball for the first couple of games, because <laughs> he is like an attackman playing midfield um, yeah. in the way that he both tries to attack the cage and tries to move the ball to open teammates. Um, and I, and I think it's, I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch, um, particularly given that he's paired with Greg Cahollin, who characterized relatively similarly, and Zed Williams, who, while he is not really at all, I mean, he was a high school attackman, and he's like an, he's like a pass a passer, right? But like mm-hmm. he is not, you know, he's like he's just tall. He's like runs down the alley. He looks much more like a traditional midfielder. So yeah. I think that that you know kind of that's what I was saying earlier when I'm saying like the cohesion is going to be interesting to see how it develops. And that's why I'm excited that I think that they're going to be able to be on the field a lot, especially early because you're not trying to get your second midfield into the game as much as other teams are, because a lot of your second midfield, a lot of your quote unquote second midfielders are are playing defense. Yeah. Um, So I like a lot the look of that midfield with Koholin, who I think is one of the, I don't know. I don't want to get too like soapboxy, but I think he's so underrated. Um, it killed me that he didn't make the ACC team last year because I thought he was just incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, I think some of that was hurt from moving from midfield to attack. So you don't really know where to put him in the categories. Yep. But um, his numbers, his numbers weren't good enough as an attackman. Yeah, but his numbers weren't pure enough as a midfielder. Right. So he had 39 and 14, 39 goals, 14 assists, uh, led the team with 53 points. And Zed finished with 20 goals and 17 assists, which although people will say is quiet compared to what they expected from him, I, I kind of like what the coaching staff did with him coming from the reservation into Charlottesville, not putting a lot of pressure on him his first two years, but coaches mentioned putting that pressure on and the expectations cranking him up a little bit this, this year is he's in good academic standing. He's done well his first two years. Um, what do you think Virginia fans can see offensively from the midfield? And then also what's your first take on the attack? Then? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that those guys should reasonably be expected to combine for 120 points, like average 40, a guy, um, you know, it would be, that would be, a reduction from Colin's, you know, junior season, it would be a, a, a slight improvement from Zed. Um, yeah. And it would be a record setting year from Conrad, but that doesn't right. necessarily mean that the numbers need to be distribu- distributed that way. So if it goes, you know, 60, 30, 30 or whatever, I think that that's reasonable. Um, I think that it's, I think it's, maybe that's like, the 50% expectation or the, you know, kind of middle quadrant expectation. Maybe it's cause it's not, a, it's not, I would not be stunned if they combined for 160 points if everybody stayed healthy. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to be awesome. Um, at the attack, I think it's really interesting because they're kind of, you know, there, there are a couple of different ways that you can, you can construct your attack. Like um, if you have uh, two ball carriers, like Notre Dame, for example, last year, they had a left-handed ball carrier, who spent a lot of time behind the goal of Matt Cavanaugh and a righty in um, Connor Doyle who did the same and they balance each other out. So that's like, we're going to have two attackmen behind the cage. So then it makes sense to have one guy right in the middle on the crease, whose job it is to catch all the balls and score the goals. And that was what Mike Wynn did. And that that's a, that's a construction that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, the much more traditional one guy who is two handed and then two shooters on either side, one's right handed, one's left handed. Um, you know, that would be, uh, like 
you know, steal with basically, you know, well, I guess it's not even true because Baca was more of the crease guy. That would be a little bit more similar to um, Steele's freshman year when he represented the left-handed guy, Billings was the righty, and then um, uh, Danny Gladding was the quarterback. This mm-hmm. team is going to be much more like a triangle, like a, like a equilateral, equilateral triangle that points to the right. And that's with um, uh, our boy with the unpronounceable last name. Because um, <laughs> I'd say Lukovic. Yeah, I'd say Lukovic. I just say Luka. <laughs> I've just okay. shut it down. You but yeah, Lukovic, on that. Lukovic. I think it's Lukovic. Yeah. Lukovic. I think one of the... But all right, well, let's not go down that rabbit hole. So he's going to be your quarterback. He's going to be spending a lot of time behind uh, James Spinell is going to be a ready shooter. And then Mike DeMario is going to be roaming the crease. Um, you know, I think he is lefty. I think he, he has a little bit more range, but he's a little small. So you don't expect him to be like a guy that's going to, you know, wheel back from the type of range that Rob Pinnell or I'm sorry, James Pinnell has mm-hmm. and, you know, hitting on 15 yard shots. So, right. you know, I, I think that that's kind of, that's kind of how I see the attack like shaping up. Um, obviously DeMario is the unproven quantity. Um, I think that uh, James's return from injury is important. A question mark. I don't think it's going to impact him that dramatically for three reasons. The first is because it was so long ago. The second is because I don't think his game is as uh, predicated on his mobility as his brothers or, you know, somebody else he's he's much more of a solid shooter and then lastly is because he's really strong i mean look at that dude's legs like he he looks like the type of guy who um (laughs) rehabbed well i guess Um, yeah it's like a horse yeah (laughs) would you ever Um, expect to see uh and this is just to me kind of spitballing this case i know that aj fish really impressed coach in the fall midfield i'd be curious if they'd ever do a kind of four midfielder to attack like they've done previously with keeping the, the front there, you know, the first three from the midfield, throw AJ fish in there and then pull out like a DeMario um, in that kind of scenario. Like I'd be curious to see if they'd ever use that because you've got such good shooters with Koholin up there as well. Yeah. I mean, I really think it kind of depends on where the playmaking comes from, from the midfield, because if Conrad and Koholin represent like two guys who are going to draw slides from up top, you know, and, and be able to be spaced out, and move the ball efficiently and effectively, then you get um, that on, on one wing, you kind of need him counterbalanced on the opposite side of the field in order to, you know, have the spacing and balance that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's, you want to have one or two guys behind, you know, it really kind of comes down to, I, I think that the biggest thing that will impact Virginia's offense is how, like who, who I'll put it this way, coming out of timeouts, who do they want to be the guy, not necessarily that starts with the ball on a stick, but the guy that makes the move mm-hmm. where they want him making the decision. You know what I mean? And there are probably going to be two or three guys that fit that bill and where on the field they are most comfortable starting from is going to be the biggest determining factor in what type of shape do they want this offense to take. Yeah, well, that's a good point. That was a little. That was a little complicated. I don't know if I. No, no, no. I, 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 I no, <laughs> I followed it. I think that's. I think it's an interesting um, setup that I don't know. Coach likes to play with a lot of that stuff too, and it wouldn't be his first time using. I don't know because there were definitely times last year where the midfield the, they were heavy on the midfield scoring. Like the that's where a lot of the um, production came from. But when you have guys like Tucker and 
again, Cahol, and I don't know what you call him last year, but um, so it'll be interesting with, uh, um, what do you think? So the schedule, obviously Virginia always plays a tough schedule when you play in the ACC and you're the last ranked ACC team in year number nine preseason. Obviously right. that um, sets up for, they've obviously had struggles in the ACC the last couple of years. So I think only one conference mm-hmm. win. Um, the last three you, years. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Um, what do you see? What, what can we reasonably expect from Virginia when you look at their schedule? What do you think that they're going to, where do you think they're going to shake out? Well, okay. So like what we've seen over the last few years, and this is commensurate with just the idea of it being difficult in conferences, you know, start fast four and oh, five and oh, six and oh, um, you know, hit a bit of a, a lull, which may or may not be a wall. It may just be, you're not as good as the teams that you're playing. And, you know, go two and two, two and three over the course of like that middle stretch. And then what determines the quality of your season is how you do in the last third. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I think that they can be better than that. And you look at their schedule and the thing, you know, I, I, uh, I give you a little bit of grief before we started recording about whether or not the schedule is um, like better than typical for Virginia, because they just always play a tough schedule. And so like, you know, it's, there's very little wiggle room in terms of like how good the schedule actually is. The thing that I think is differentiating or dif- like differentiated about this is that I think the only bottom 30 program on the schedule is VMI. Typically Virginia has two or three of those. Um, most teams have two or three of those um, because it's just kind of, you do it for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and it's the smart thing to do as a program. So, but, but when you look at the programs that maybe a couple of years ago, you would have, when you started to build a schedule, you would have expected to be in that realm. Uh-huh. Um, particularly Drexel, High Point, St. Joe's, um, Richmond, yeah. and then theoretically Brown, if they end up in the fifth place ACC game, God forbid, um, then yeah, like what, you know, those programs that I listed, they're all like between 16 and 32. Um, it's yeah. not like cupcakes. You can, you know, this is not college across in 2005 where Virginia doesn't lose the teams that are ranked number 32. Like, this is a new era where the 32nd ranked team in college across is definitely capable of being a top five team if they play well and the top five team doesn't. So, um, you know, they come out of the gate, Loyola, Drexel, High Point, Penn. Like if they're four and that's a legit four and That is yeah. like a, we are going into Syracuse feeling really good about our, or Syracuse come to us. We're feeling really good about ourselves. Um, you know, let's keep this train rolling. I don't know. Right. I mean, uh, you know the Loyola game is going to be a one-goal game because yeah, seriously. that's all they play. Uh, um, they don't know, you know any other. So, the script's already been exactly. written. It's going to be snowing at halftime. I'm going to be freezing no matter what. It's going to so go. who's manning the clock? Can we get that sorted out right now? What was that? Who's manning the clock? Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> yeah, I know that last year. Sort of two years ago? Two years ago. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. Have, I do have one last question before maybe we get to. I don't know. At least Carolyn and I will throw out some predictions. I get okay. a lot of um, not grief, but I think in in you know UVA fandom, whether it be guys who are big football fans or general fans of the sports program, I think lacrosse is great to see some championships, and I try and catch a game. Maybe I pay attention to the standings and whatnot. And for that type of fan, someone who isn't going every every game or following it religiously, you know, there's definitely a sense of 
the recent results haven't been up to par. And anytime that happens, you're going to get questions of, is the coach too old or run his, you know, course here? And, and, you know, that sounds absurd. I don't think anyone's uh, realistically, I I hope, thinking this is some sort of Bobby Bowden situation with Starja. But I think you brought up a great point that it is a legitimate argument that there is more parity in terms of the amount of, great teams or even just strong teams who are able to upset the elite teams or the historically elite teams in college lacrosse. So um, maybe if you can confirm that I'm not crazy for making that argument to my friends, but also is there, should there be any rumblings, you know, among the Virginia fan base, if we see another winless ACC season? Sure. So um, I think that there's, I think those are two, um, Two, well, I'll put it this way. Those are two of the most interesting issues in college across that mm-hmm. um, we asked Christian Sweezy to devote 2,500 words to exploring them in the March issue of the Inside Across magazine, right. um, which will I'll be on new fans. Uh, yeah. Um, but the, 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 the more complicated, boiling down the more complicated issue of should Virginia expect to be as good uh, as they were from 2006 to 2011 or whatever time frame you want to put on it is um, well, Duke has basically stolen Virginia's place in the college across landscape. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Notre Dame has, has stolen what leftover portion of it there was, um, you know, neither of those programs were good from, or as they certainly were not national championship contenders, much less really final four contenders from at the very least, you know, 99 to 06 when right. uh, Virginia won three national championships. Um, so that's a huge thing because like Duke and Notre Dame attract very similar types of players or types of people that Virginia does. And so there's only, you know, a certain number of those that are the best lacrosse players to go around right. and Virginia gets some of them, but they don't get as many as they used to. And then the factor becomes, all right, well now, now, how do you win now? How do you right. kind of re? reassemble the puzzle. Um, and that is a question that falls squarely on the coaching staff. Um, I think that the, I think, okay, so I'll put it this way. I am um, a believer that head coaches are overrated. Coaching staffs are underrated. The head coach, because typically a well-constructed head coaching staff is going to have its head coach predominantly coaching his three assistant coaches And then those three assistant coaches are essentially the main point of contact for thirds of the team with the head coach being uh, there as a resource when necessary. Um, And I think that, so there you look at continuity. Virginia has had more continuity in their coaching staff up to when Joe took over um, than most, certainly, you know, Mark Van Arsdale's presence um, going on two decades as we joke about Owen is <laughs> um, a huge asset there and, and there's value in that. I think that, um, you know, when Joe arrived on campus, it was a significant step up in terms of the level of competition that he had previously been successful at. So you, you have to expect him to, you know, take a, a, a season to get up to speed. Um, and so now you've seen the kind of adjustment to that. And I think that, you know, that's where it's difficult to separate the, the, disappointing misfortune of 2015 from what that team should have been 
um, in terms of saying we didn't win a regular season ACC game. Um, and that's where if they don't win this year, if they don't assert a more positive position in the ACC, I think, I think you can reasonably argue, yeah, like this is the coaching, this is symptomatic of a, of a coaching staff that needs to, if not necessarily make personnel changes, change right. its approach in a more meaningful way than they have, um, you know, since really, you know, the, the very meaningful changes that they made in 2010 and 2011. Well, why don't we uh, close things up so that uh, Caroline can address? I think I think uh, I, I think there's a, there's another gap in the background. That yeah. <laughs> so sorry, she's in the other room too. She finally realized I came in and I hadn't let her out of her crate, and she was like, "I can hear you. I know you're here." Oh boy! Well, she's got uh, opinions on the face-off issue, and that yeah, she's like, "Get in it, get face-off, guys." That's what she's saying right now. Um, anyway. Yeah, Pierce, what do you think? Just general prediction, not like numbers or how far do you think this team goes? I, I gotta, they've got to, this is the only, the only answer is they've got to at least win an ACC game. So I'll go ahead and cut the difference and, and be an optimist and say that they'll win at least a couple ACC games and that's going to put them in good shape to, I don't know, maybe actually qualify for the ACC tournament and get a good <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. So, um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll say an outside shot at a at a one seed, and at the very least a two seed though, in the national tournament. Yeah, I think yeah. I think they host a game in the first round, um, and they'll get to the semifinals. No, they'll get to the finals, the ACC tournament. Let's do that. Let's get bold this year. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks that that's bold now. Though. I know. Well, they're good, man. It's yeah, crazy. I know. I know. The well, not only are they good, but also like Syracuse is not as good. Yeah. Thank God, Carolina I can't has... take that game I thought last Carolina... year. That was... that came last I thought Carolina year. was going to be as good, and then they put a hurt on Michigan. Yeah. Well, yeah, they did. I saw it twenty to ten. I was already getting some flack on Twitter from people like, "Oh, how's the men's lacrosse team do today?" UNC won, and I was like, "They haven't played yet." <laughs> Calm down. Good Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Well, Terry, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. Um, I really appreciate the insight. Always helpful. Um, again, everyone check out InsideLacrosse.com. They'll have tons of lacrosse information throughout the season. Um, I know that they will have post-game write-ups on Virginia uh, throughout the year. <laughs> well, <laughs> guarantee those for you um but it really was a pleasure talking to you so thank you very much thank you so much absolutely anytime excellent all right well why don't we close up shop as we always do and uh stay tuned for more lacrosse preview uh content on streaking the lawn and again the game is saturday at home at clockner at one and for caroline and myself uh go hoops iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. 
So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today.